Thank you so much, brother. And uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. My name is Leon McKenzie. I serve as a pastor for teaching and preaching here at Redeemer Community Church. And uh, it's truly an honor to, to be here and worship with you guys and, and to share the word. Leave that there. Um, I just want to say, we're going to be talking particularly about love, love within the community. And it's, I, I am grateful. Uh, I, are the Colts here this morning? I didn't see them. Oh, there they are. Boom. There they are. Um, just want to say, to echo Chris's words, they, they, are, they are great examples of what we're going to talk about today. They're, they're fantastic. I, since COVID, I, I told um, Caroline, I said, I think they single-handedly grew the church by about 20, 30% single-handedly. Um, they are just fantastic at loving um, the body in a way that is honestly challenging uh, for somebody like me who's uh, pretty, um, you may not know this, but I, I really like my space. Uh, I am introverted. Um, I'm the kind of person where after, you know, eight hours of being home with two small people and one bigger person, uh, I'll just go in the car and just just to be alone and drive around. Um, but, you know, the Colts are fantastic at, at really challenging me to consider how I'm loving others well. And that's what our sermon is going to talk about today. And so our main idea, what I, oh, I'm sorry, I do have an announcement. Bible study continue 6 p.m. through the book of Ephesians right here in the building on Wednesday nights. Uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, I hate that I actually missed this, but we're going through a book called Ephesians for Everyone by N.T. Wright. We have copies of it here for anybody who wants to join. You'll need a book to, to join the study. Um, it's $10 if you have it. If you don't have it, please do not worry about it. Just let me know. We will just give you a book, okay? It's all honor system. So, if you got it, you want to pay for it, that'll be great. Help us cut the cost. If you don't got it, please don't worry about it. God is good. We're all, we're, we're all good, okay? You can have it. So just let me know. I have about 11 copies left, and um, if we need more, we'll order more. Amen? So join us 6 p.m. right here. And so going into the sermon this morning, um, we're going to talk about a new command, a new command that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John, come from John 13. And this is the main idea that I want us to walk away from today. If you don't hear anything else, if you don't walk away with anything else, if you don't write anything else in your notes, I want you to write this and take this. Our love for each other is our greatest witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our love for each other is our greatest witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to read John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35, short passage. Then we'll pray together and then we'll jump into sermon. So John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. When he had gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And this is the word of the Lord. Friends, let's pray together. Dear God, I just thank you so much for this Sunday. I thank you um, that you've been kind to keep us another week. Uh, to bring us back together on this Sunday. 
Lord, I thank you so much for the encouragement that comes to us through through singing out uh, songs of praise to you together. I thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that is just seeing one another and being with each other, Lord God. I just thank you for all your your many kindness uh, kindnesses to us. I thank you for the ways that you've kept us and protected us in ways that we would never even be aware. The things you've kept us from and kept from us. You're so kind in so many ways. This morning, as we come to this sermon, Lord God, I pray that with clarity, with conviction, Lord, you would cause your word to be proclaimed. And Lord, that each and every single person here would receive of you exactly what it is you've sent your word to do in our lives and our hearts and our minds. My God, I do pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged, we would be inspired, we would be helped to love each other better, to love each other even as you have loved us, to love each other in such a way that we are an effective and attractive witness of your love to this watching world, Lord. Forgive us, Father, for where we have sinned and for where we have fallen short. Lord God, let not the enemy in any way be effective against all that you are doing here this morning, against the reception of your word, Lord God. May your word accomplish all that you sent it to do. Be with our children that they may hear as Anna and the teachers teach them. And Lord, we pray that when time comes, they too would come to know you through the forgiveness of their sins. We love and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And so, friends, our passage this morning comes on the heels of a very famous scene in the scripture, the one where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and we're going to get into that a little bit more in a second. But right after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he then has this, we have the first communion where he dips the bread in the dish and he hands it to Judas Iscariot, the one who betrays them. And he tells John, if you remember, John reclines against Jesus and says, hey, which one of us will betray you? And Jesus says, the one who I give the bread to after I've dipped it into the dish. And so he gives the bread to Judas. And essentially what he says to Judas is, hey, now go and betray me. What you're going to do, go and do it quickly. And oddly enough, Judas hops up and goes and betrays Jesus. And once Judas leaves, which is the beginning of our passage, Jesus looks to the rest of of his disciples and he says, now is the son of man glorified. Now is the son of man glorified. And this may seem weird because nothing's happened yet, right? Nothing's changed. Judas has just gone to betray him. How is Jesus glorified in the betrayal of Judas, this disciple? Well, what Jesus is speaking to is not the fulfillment, not the ultimate glorification that comes to him through his resurrection, but he's speaking to the process that will lead to his glorification beginning. Essentially, the process that will come to what? His death. His crucifixion. A very gruesome death, indeed. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible or the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you might assume that when he says glorification or when he says that I am going to be glorified, you may assume that he was speaking to something great. But as I've said, he's not. He's speaking about dying a pretty gruesome death. But the glory in his death, however, comes from the fact that through it, 
he was fulfilling the will of God the Father for his life. And the will of God the Father for his life, brothers and sisters, is our redemption. The redemption of the people of God. The glory that is Jesus's is our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, our reconciliation to God, our Father. All of this stems from his being glorified. In this way, Jesus is glorified and God the Father is glorified in him. So, having been glorified in this way, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this. He says, a new command I give you. He says, that you love one another. Now here's the question. That's not really all new a command, is it? We, we read it. Thou, thousands of years before Jesus comes, God had already given that command. We just read it in Leviticus, right? What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not a new command. So what is Jesus getting at here? What's new about this command. Well, this command is new in three different ways, and we're going to talk about it. And as we talk about it, we're going to compare and contrast it with this old command to love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So it's new in three different ways. And the first is this. The old command is love your neighbor. But in the new command, love your neighbor becomes love each other. Okay? Love your neighbor becomes love each other. A guy once told me this story about how he just hated growing up with his little brother. He didn't, he didn't hate his little brother, but he hated growing up with him sometimes because his parents told him, I'm going to trip on his pencil. His parents told him that whenever he goes out with his little brother, his number one job was to look out for him. His number one job was to make sure that he took up for him, no matter what trouble he got into, no matter what fight he got into, he needed to take up for his little brother. And that sounds pretty good, right? Some of you here who are siblings or who have children, you know, you've said the same thing. I'd never forget, I remember a guy, who was actually a preacher, told me that he told his son that if anybody ever messes with his sister, to punch him right here. And he said it always works because if they were bigger, they would get tears in their eyes and they wouldn't be able to see you. You can either take advantage of them or run away. I just always appreciated the preacher teaching, teaching these great defensive tactics. But the problem with this friend's parents telling, telling him this was that his little brother heard it. And so his little brother would go out and cause a lot of trouble, knowing that his big brother would come to his rescue. And so that meant that this brother, this big brother, that he got into a lot of fights that he didn't start. And a lot of times, these fights were with people that were bigger and stronger than him, which means he didn't win some of them. And on a lot of these occasions, he would get into two fights. One with the person that his brother got in trouble with, and then with his brother for getting in trouble with this person. But I tell this story to illustrate what's different about the love that Jesus is calling his disciples to here in this particular passage. Whereas the love for neighbor speaks to our responsibility to care for anybody we come across that may have a need, Jesus is looking at these particular 12, these 11 individuals at this point, and he's saying, hey, you look out for each other. You love your brothers in this room. You love 
each other. Jesus here is calling the disciples to display a very specific, special kind of love for their family members and the family of God. Is he not hear me? Is All right, did you guys feel like I was screeching at you? You did? Thank you, Castile. You could have said something, man. No, actually, don't do that. Don't speak in front of me. But... Don't, do not talk while I'm talking, Castile, okay? <laughs> but no. Jesus here, in essence, is looking at these men like my friend's parents looked at him. He's saying, hey, look out for your brothers. Look out for each other. And what this means for us, brothers and sisters, is that we are commanded to love each other inside here, inside the family of God. We're commanded to love each other in a very special way. We're commanded to care for each other, look out for each other in a very special way, a way that's different from the love that's displayed for the world. And I want you to hear me. I know, Redeemer, let me tell you something. You guys are very good, better than most, at loving people outside of the family of God. And I praise the Lord for that. I really do. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, sometimes, Sometimes the temptation is to treat people outside of the faith better than we treat people inside the faith. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, it's easier for us to get along with and care for the poor and the down and out and the people that we run into outside there than it is to get along with, our very, with the members of our family, with the people that we deal with in the day-to-day. Amen? Is it just me? Sometimes it's easier to put up with the junk of the people that we just see here and there than the people that we see every Sunday. But what Jesus is calling us to is to love each other in a very special way. Because I think that giving into the temptation to love people outside the family of God better than we love the people inside the family of God is actually a ploy of the devil. In C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, the demon mentor screw tape, he tells his protege Wormwood, he says that one of the best way to ruin the believer's witness, one of the best way to ruin the believer's witness is to make them so concerned with their love t- toward those outside of his home or family that he neglects to love those closest to him. Friends, Jesus is calling us to love each other because we are the family of God. And our mission field, our call to serve and love begins right here at home. Amen? And so the first thing is this. The new command changes love for neighbor to love each other. And secondly, it changes where loving as yourself becomes loving as Jesus loved. Now, Here's the given. This is impossible. This is impossible, right? Jesus telling us to love like he loved is like Michael Jordan telling me to play basketball like he played basketball, right? right? I'd be like, Mike, I know you don't know me yet. One day me and Mike might be friends. Me and Steph Curry are going to be friends, though. I've already told Drew this. We're going to be friends. We're going to hang out and do fun stuff together one day. But, you know, 
Mike, I've been, I've been trying to play like you since I was six years old. And um, this is about as close as I've gotten. And I got to be honest, it ain't, it ain't all that close. Right? The same, same feeling of Jesus tells us that we are to love as he loved. Because Jesus loved and he loves perfectly. And it's clear that we don't. And it's clear that we can't love perfectly. It's clear that we can't love perfectly. However, the goal isn't perfection, but it's imitation and aspiration. How are we aspiring to love? Who are we imitating in our love for each other? You see, when I, when I step on a basketball court, I know I can't be Michael Jordan. I know I can't be Mike. But you best believe I'm trying. You best believe when I jump up and I do that 360 and, and, and I uh, lay the ball up and maybe miss, I was trying to be Mike. I was trying to be Mike. The Lord just uh, he uh, blessed Mike with some knees that he didn't bless me with and some ankles and other stuff. That uh, that uh, he he uh, is that a, I don't think it's a blessing, but he 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 uh, didn't didn't bless me with all of that stuff. Thank did somebody say thank God for that? Oh, thank God for my knees. Well, thank God for what's left of them. But praise be unto God. But here's the question: If aspiration and imitation is the goal, then here's the question: What does Jesus' perfect love look like? Well, a little earlier in the chapter, I think Jesus gives a great example when he washes the disciples' feet. And I want us to do something that's pretty, pretty interesting. How many of you guys are familiar with Sally Lloyd-Jones' uh, um, storybook Bible? It's fantastic. If you've never gone through it, maybe you don't have children, I would, I would, I would suggest going through it, doing a devotional. And it is amazing. Um, I've been reading it with, with Gideon and... Um, it's been speaking to my heart. I've been convicted and challenged. And I want us to read the story of foot washing. I want us to read it from the storybook Bible. That's okay. Man, I have a copy of it up here. But this is how it goes in the storybook Bible. It says, it was Passover, the time when God's people remembered how God had rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. Every year they killed a lamb and ate it. The lamb died instead of us, they would say. But the Passover, but this Passover, God was getting ready for an even greater rescue. Jesus and his friends were having the Passover meal together in an upstairs room. But Jesus' friends were arguing. What about? They were arguing about stinky feet. Stinky feet? Yes, that's right. Stinky feet. Now, the thing about feet back then was that when people didn't wear shoes, they only wore sandals. What might not sound unusual, which might not sound unusual, except that the streets in those days were dirty. And I don't mean just dusty dirty. I mean really stinky dirty. With all those cows and horses everywhere, you can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on their feet. So anyway, someone had to wash away the dirt. But it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do it? Only the lowliest servant. I'm not the servant, Peter said, nor am I, said Matthew. Quietly, Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, picked up a basin of water, knelt down, and started to wash his friend's feet. You can't, Peter said. He didn't understand about Jesus being the servant king. If you don't let me wash away the dirt, Peter, Jesus says, you can't be close to me. Jesus knew that what people needed most was to be clean on the inside. 
All the dirt on their feet was nothing compared to the sin inside their hearts. Then wash me, Lord, Peter said, tears filling his eyes. All of me. One by one, Jesus washed everyone's feet. I am doing this because I love you, Jesus explained. Do this for each other. I am doing this because I love you. Do this for each other. I want you to hear me, brothers and sisters. Jesus did not say do this for everyone. Jesus did not say do this for everyone. He said do this for each other. Let me ask you a question. How much does your love for each other look like what Jesus did here? How much does your love for your brothers and sisters in the family of God look like the way Jesus loved his disciples? Jesus, in washing their feet, displayed a kind of humility, a kind of sacrifice, a kind of selflessness that's necessary for us to love each other as he loves. Friends, this is our aspiration, to love the way Jesus loved these men in this scene. And lastly, the love, the command that Jesus gives is new because it comes with a purpose and a promise. A purpose and a promise. And it's this. We love each other because this is how people will know that we are his disciples. Now, I've said this from the pulpit a whole lot. The way we love each other inside the church is the greatest witness to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are watching out in the world. It is the greatest witness. Or said differently, the world will know that Jesus is who we say he is by how we love each other. Not by how much we argue with them. Not by how much we preach at them. Not not by how much we theologize. They will know by how well we love each other. And I'm pretty sure we've all heard of people who were turned off at church because of all dissension that we have amongst each other, right? Why would anybody want to join a community of people who don't want the community of people who are already there to be there? I remember working out with a friend of mine. So we were friends in middle school, didn't see each other through high school or college. After college, we met up at the gym. We started working out together again. And, and he wasn't a Christian. He knew that I was, but still we would have some great deep conversations about life and things as we worked out. Um, he wasn't necessarily about faith. He never really brought it up, um, but he was going through some pretty difficult things in his life. And and I would talk to him and try to encourage him. And one day he just brought up some stuff about faith, kind of out of the, out of the blue. He said, Leon, you know what? I, I really appreciate God and I appreciate faith because when I was in high school, my parents kicked me out of the house. And when they kicked me out of the house, one of my friend's father, who was a Christian, who went to church a lot, he took me in and cared for me, no questions asked. And he said, one of the things I remember him telling me that I'll never forget, he said, man, if you would keep God first in your life, if you would just trust him, then he would just work everything out for you. And when he said that, I don't know what in the world got into me, but I got all puffed up and I was like, man, that's what's wrong with that prosperity gospel. Telling people that if, if you believe God, then he'll work everything out. That's not why we come to faith in Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. And my friend, 
calmly, no anxiety, just calmly looked at me and waited for me to finish my, my very stupid rant. And he just said, hey, Leon, um, I don't know about all of that. All I know is that this man was a Christian and he looked out for me. At that moment, I felt like this small. Because here was an opportunity for me to join in with the work of a brother who just loved someone. And yet I took an opportunity to tear him down. The way I tore this man down did not make him any more attracted to a faith that he wasn't already all that attracted to. What is it about us to where we want to tear brothers and sisters down instead of building them up? What if I had said to my friend, hey, man, your friend's father really showed you the love of Jesus. Man, I'm so glad that your friend's father was there to love you like that. What would that have communicated to him? Friends, a community where love is its identifying mark, is a community that uniquely points people to Jesus. I'm going to say it again. A community where love is its identifying mark is a community that uniquely points people to Jesus. And unfortunately, very often, our community looks quite the opposite. It looks quite the opposite. Friends, we must love each other because it is our greatest witness to the world. You mean, you mean more than street evangelism? Yes. You mean more than preaching sermons? Although they are amazing. Yes. You mean more than apologetics? More than great books? You mean more than feeding the poor? Yes. The way we as the family of God love each other is the greatest witness to the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'll be honest, I'll, I'll say this, and it's been challenging. I know I've gloated on the coats enough, but I'll keep doing it. I have not had a single person come to me yet and say, Leon, we are joining this church because you and Pastor Drew preach amazing sermons. Have not heard someone come and say, hey, you know what, man, I, I, I've become a Christian I wasn't a Christian. I came in here and I'm a Christian. Why? Because of that amazing sermon. But I've heard many people come and talk about how Jesus changed their life because of the way they were loved and experienced love in this community. Now, I'm not saying that God is not doing amazing things through these amazing sermons. That's not what I'm saying. But if Jesus is telling the truth, and I'd like to believe that he is. It's nothing compared to the way we love each other. It's nothing, nothing compared to us loving one another. Now, here's the difficult thing. It's quite impossible for us to learn to love like Jesus if we've never experienced the love of Jesus for ourselves. 
If you're here this morning and you hear me speaking about this love of Jesus and all of that, and you're like, man, I've, I've never experienced it, but I really would like to. I want you to know that Jesus is here to extend this love to you this morning. We're about to take of communion with Pastor Drew coming up. We'll take of the cracker. We'll dip it in this grape juice. And what this thing is, there's nothing special about the cracker. There's nothing special about the juice. These just represent the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has shown us in having his body broken on the cross and his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, that we can be reconciled to the family of God. And if you're here this morning and you've never experienced that, you've never put your faith in this, then today is your opportunity to do that. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is trust that what Jesus has accomplished is enough for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've experienced this love, but if you're honest, if you're honest, it's kind of missed you here recently. Recently, it's been kind of hard to really believe that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you the way the scripture says, the way I've talked about today. And I want you to hear me that in this bread, in this juice, okay, be reminded that he indeed does love you. Be reminded that he is here for you. If you're here and you need any prayer, you need some help in in just praying and asking the Lord to reveal this love to you afresh, or once again, I'll be sitting over here after communion. I'd love to pray with you. But please don't leave here this morning without, without experiencing this love. Lastly, I want to say this. Drew has said this on multiple occasions, and I know it's really challenging. I know it is. It's, it's deathly, it's very scary to me as a pastor, but there's a moment where we will silently confess sin. And Pastor Drew has asked this on several occasions, that if you can think of anyone here that you are at odds with, take a moment to go and work that out with them before you take communion. Friends, it's hard. Can you imagine a pastor coming and saying, I just don't like you very much. But today I want to challenge you that if that's the case, if you find some impediment between between you and someone else that's stopping you from loving them the way Jesus has called us to love, I I want to encourage you, not challenge, let me encourage you to work that out this morning at some point. Work that out. You have no idea who's looking at that and thinking, man, I need some of that in my life. And so, Pastor Drew, if you'll come.